The synopsis of this week's episode. Mm-hmm. While exploring the edge of the galaxy, the Enterprise encounters an energy barrier that gives two crewmen godlike powers. Hmm. So what do you think you're going to get in this episode? Right, godlike. So they're going to be creating stuff. Sure. They might make themselves some big thrones to sit in. Oh, okay. Uh, they're going to be booming their voices around the place. That sounds good, yeah. Wearing robes. And the other people are not going to like it. No. They might be like vegans. The people or the, the These gods? godlike ones. They won't make a big deal of it. They're not going to try and um, make anyone else feel bad about <laughs> it. But everyone <laughs> knows they're better than them. Oh, whoa. Okay. Gosh. Yeah. And then I'm also quite looking forward to Lucille Ball's involvement in this. So maybe a bit of slapstick comedy, a bit of uh, falling over or zany faces. Um, I think you're going to have to kind of lower your expectations a little bit on this episode. Aww. Rachel watches Star Trek. Captain's log. Stardate 1312.4. The impossible has happened. From directly ahead, we're picking up a recorded distress signal. The call letters of a vessel which has been missing for over two centuries. Did another Earth ship once probe out of the galaxy as we intend to do? What happened to it out there? Is this some warning they've left behind? That was a clip from the second pilot episode of Star Trek called Where No Man Has Gone Before. And I, Chris Lackey, have just sat down with my wife, Rachel Lackey, to watch this particular episode. We're going to talk about it here on our podcast. Rachel watches Star Trek. This is the second episode of Star Trek that you've ever watched. Yeah. We're in an experiment here to see if we can actually make it through the series. Ooh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And so far the experiment's going a little shakily because Mm. um, this wasn't... As good as I remembered it being this episode, I have to say. Mm. But let's not get into specifics at this point, and let's just talk about the episode, shall All we? right. Uh, it starts off with Captain Kirk, played by William Shatner, and Mr. Spock, played by Leonard Nimoy, and they're playing some chess. In the future, chess will be 3D. Oh, I felt myself turning against the episode already. But, well, 3D chess is very iconic with Ugh. Star Trek. <laughs> Because in the future, two dimensions are not going to be enough to challenge one's mind. They're going to need three dimensions. Just start think of another game. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, they want to be classic. So, you know, it's classic, but with a new twist. Sure. A third dimension. Spock looks a bit yellow in this episode. Yeah, he does. I've heard criticism aimed at the original series saying that Spock was supposed to kind of represent East Asian people, mm. like the Chinese or, or something like that. He looks pretty yellow in this, so it seems That's like... That's a bit racist, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of progressive things that happened in Star Trek, but it mm. still was made in the 60s, so you're going to see some... You're going to see some racism. Hmm. Yeah. We'll not, see. Not in this particular episode. No. Besides the lack of diversity, which there is still... A lack of diversity in this in this particular episode but as the show progresses it gets much more diverse so first impressions of shatner who um was in the credits as starring william shatner yeah. so obviously he was a big deal already at that point yeah. no. really quite sparkly eyed 
in the glorious HD that we're watching it in. Oh, right. Yeah. Some uh, people asked us what version of the original series we're watching. And we are watching the HD versions with the remastered sound and, I believe, enhanced special effects. Mm, the purists won't like that, will they? They won't. But these HD version ones are available on Netflix. And that's where we're watching them. So it's just easier on us. Plus, it looks really pretty. But sometimes there's a little bit too much detail <laughs> when it comes to faces. Kirk is waiting for an update from the bridge about an unexplained distress signal from an Earth vessel. Hmm. And here is the exchange. Your move, Captain. We should have intercepted by now. The bridge said they'd call. I'll have you checkmated your next move. <laughs> have I ever mentioned you play a very irritating game of chess, Mr. Spock? Irritating? Ah, Yes. One of your Earth emotions. Oh, come on. Now, I know it seems cliche, but this series is what made this type of thing cliche. Hmm. Kirk makes the surprise move, wins and says, certain you don't know what irritation is? And then Spock says, one of my ancestors was human, you know. Ooh, mixed species procreation. Well, here's the thing. This is a pilot episode, and later we're going to find out that Spock's mother is actually totally human. Hmm. So he is half human, half Vulcan. Lieutenant Kelso buzzes in and says that they are in tractor beam range of a small object. And Kirk tells him to pull it in, and he and Spock take off to go to the bridge. What's a tractor beam? Uh, oh, wait, what do you think it is? It probably pulls things yeah. behind it in front of spaceships trying to go the speed limit. No, no, um, it just grabs objects and other ships and pulls it closer to itself. Yeah, just what I said. <laughs> <laughs> As Kirk and Spock are getting onto the turbo lift, this guy sneaks on as the doors are closing, and it's Lieutenant Commander Gary Mitchell. And he and Kirk joke around a bit and establish that these guys are old friends. Mm. When they get to the bridge, they take their places, and they find out what they picked up was a marker from the SS Valiant, a ship that had disappeared over 200 years ago. And the senior staff, they all show up for some reason, I don't know why, to <laughs> introduce themselves. Yeah. Most of them are wearing what my mum's grandma called a colored shirt. A what? Oh, that was when my uh, granddad was about 17 and he lived with his mum and his auntie, uh -huh. an only child, and he'd never bought his own clothes. They always dressed him in blue because that's his eye colour. Um, <laughs> and for some reason, he was allowed to go down to a shop and choose himself a shirt. Um, but when he came back with a mustard one, they announced it was a shitting coloured shirt and marched him straight back down to the shop and told the shopkeepers off for taking advantage of him. What? And I don't think he ever bought himself anything after that. Whoa. That is some harsh stuff That there. is some cold lunch with that shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Smith, Kirk's new yeoman, who he calls Jones, uh, shows up and says that this is the senior staff. I guess Kirk hasn't met them yet. Astrosciences physicist Sulu, who eventually becomes the helmsman. He's played by George Takei. Yay. He's very awesome. Uh, then there is engineering department head Scott, a.k.a. Scotty. And, of course, his last name is Scott because he's Scottish, and hmm. that's what you would name somebody who's Scottish. Sure. I never really thought about how strange that is until just now, that his name was actually Scott. Hmm. Montgomery Scott. Uh, also, the chief medical officer, Dr. Mark Piper, and he eventually gets replaced in the next episode, so don't get it too attached to that guy. And uh, a new ship psychiatrist, Dr. Elizabeth Denner. She's on the Enterprise to study the long-term effect of space travel. Hmm, she's got really 60s hair. She does. Why is she wearing blue and not the the mustard shirt? Ah, uh, yes. Uh, the blue shirts are assigned to the science and medical staff. Ah, oh, fair enough. Spock says that he can get a message off this thing that they pulled in, 
And as he's doing it, Lieutenant Mitchell totally hits on Dr. Denner, but she ain't having it. And then he pulls this total dick move. Mm. Douchey. He calls her walking freezer unit under his breath. Ugh. And already I'm like, this guy is a tool. Uh, absolutely. Spock's records are incomplete, and he says that they were pulled into a magnetic storm and that they began looking into ESP in humans. Yeah, Dr. Denner claims it as a fact that some people can see the future, read the back of playing cards. What kind of science is that, Star Trek? Uh, okay, in Star Trek, <laughs> in the future, people actually do have psychic powers. Sure, they do. No, but, Just... they, <laughs> but they do. <laughs> they use them a lot on this show. Look at Wikipedia. Parapsychology has been criticized for continuing investigation despite being unable to provide convincing evidence for the existence of any psychic phenomena after more than a century of research. There's a guy with pointy ears and green blood on the show that is, you're okay with, but the yeah, fact that got there might powers, be aliens out there. Pointy-eared human-looking dudes with with green blood. That's possible. <laughs> Humans developing ESP is possible. It's just as possible as that. That's our species. Sure, it's only a few hundred years later. Right, but maybe some advanced technology alters people's brain chemistry in some way that they can have psychic powers. I'm calling a bullshit. <laughs> Spock says that it seems to be a bunch of crewmen who died when the magnetic storm hit their ship. It also severely damaged the Valiant. Most of the crew kept looking into ESP after the ship was damaged. And then the captain uh, just decided to watch cat videos instead of actually oh, looking no. at his, and his keyboard cat. He oh, loved, I he love keyboard cat. Then it seems that the captain self-destructed the ship. Ah! Since ships in the future might go out this way into space, Kirk says, okay, we got to check it out. That's our job. Hmm, what were they supposed to be doing before this diversion? They don't say. Hmm. Now on the edge of the galaxy moving out, this anomaly is just outside of our galaxy. And as they go out, Spock says that there's a strange field that's there, but it's not there. Everyone's a little freaked out, and Smith and Mitchell are holding hands, which I thought was very peculiar for a military operation that hmm. people would do that. But I have never been in the military, so maybe that is more common than I would imagine. Don't ask, don't tell. It's no erotic <laughs> snake woman, is it? The ship enters the field and flashes of light fill the bridge. Electric zaps abound on panels. Pew, pew, they start pew. blowing up. The hulls breach. Kirk orders Mitchell to get the ship out of the distortion, but before he can, Mitchell and Dr. Denner are zapped and then they pass out. Spock dashes over and takes over the controls of the ship and gets them out of there. Spock is the man! <laughs> All the crew follow the fire procedure of wafting the smoke away from the computers and not bothering to look for an extinguisher. Seems to work out fine. <laughs> <laughs> they don't. They just wave it around. They get the damage report. Spock tells Kirk that the main power is out and the Enterprise is on emergency power cells only. Nine crewmen are dead. Kirk checks on Denner and Mitchell. Oh no! Mitchell has jewel eyes! Yeah, they're all like kind of white diamondy eyes. Mm, but he feels alright. He says he's fine. Spock is looking at the dead crewmen's ESP ratings in the Starfleet medical records. All the dead crewmen have high ratings, but Denner and Mitchell have the highest, and Mitchell's is the most advanced. So Dr. Denner, who seems to be fine, brings Kirk the autopsy report of the dead crewmen. That's quick! Yeah, it's, well, it's the future. <laughs> the exact same part of each person's brain has been fried as they all had high ESP ratings. Spock barges in on the conversation saying that it looks like the Valiant's captain set the self-destruct, maybe to take people out affected by the storm. Mm. Denner sticks up for psychic people, saying that they are harmless, but Spock says that there are more extreme and dangerous abilities of ESP, like the ability to see through solid objects <laughs> and cause spontaneous combustion. Now, spontaneous combustion, that's pretty intense. Yeah. But see through solid objects? How oh, is really? That? That's the one that really loses you? That way. <laughs> 
But he says it's dangerous. You know, they've got these dangerous abilities, like they can see through solid objects. It's oh. like, what's that? That's not dangerous. For spying and looking at panties. That's It's a little pervy, <laughs> yeah. but it's not dangerous. Science. <laughs> so we see Mitchell in a hospital bed in the medical bay, feeling better, having a read on a kind of e-reader type thing. Kirk comes in. Like I mentioned before, where's the privacy? No, they don't, yeah, it just goes right in there. Mm -hmm. There's a weird dynamic between them, though, and a creepy pulsing noise. I felt really anxious watching it. Now, that pulsing noise, which you hear, is the medical equipment giving oral info on the vitals. Mm -hmm. So you better get used to it because it's on the entire series. Uh. Every time they're in the medical bay. Mitchell mentions that he feels better and that he's actually never felt better in his whole life. Uh-oh. Hey, but then why don't you get back to work, you lazy? Well, he's got silvery eyes still. Like, during this mm. whole conversation, his eyes are all silver and all red and puffy because I oh, think that the, the actor, poor actor... Yeah, I don't think those were very comfortable uh, lenses Ooh, for him at all. probably just glass. Mitchell's reading Spinoza, uh, which he says is simple and almost childish. Now, if you don't know who Spinoza is, he was a 17th century philosopher who believed in the unity of nature and God. Since God is the same thing as nature, in effect, the mind and the body are two aspects of the same thing. He believed that all that exists is one substance and that the mental and the physical are different attributes of that substance. Nature and God are the same thing? Yeah. I think what he was saying, now I don't I'm not I haven't studied Spinoza in depth here, so I may be wrong about this, mm-hmm. is that he was saying that God and nature, as in the earth and the plants and the flowers and everything, are the same thing. So God isn't a separate entity that that lives out in space. God lives within all things. Now Spinoza, being in the seventeenth century, was religious. So this idea that God wasn't a separate entity but part of everything, I guess, was kind of a revolutionary Gosh, idea. Makes even less sense. But here's some things that Spinoza said that I, you know, that are pretty good. Peace is not an absence of war; it is a virtue, a state of mind, a disposition for benevolence, confidence, and justice. Yeah, I like that. All things excellent are as difficult as they are rare. Hmm. And the highest activity human being can attain is learning for understanding, because to understand is to be free. Agreed. So there you go. He's got mm. some good stuff. Yeah. You know, these casual references make Star Trek cool. How many kids and people are exposed to Spinoza? Well, not me. The two continue to reminisce about their days at Starfleet Academy, and Gary says that he aimed that little blonde lab technician at Jim. Huh. Kirk replies, you playing that? I almost married her. Oh, he loves objectifying women. Blech. It's not great. Kirk tells Mitchell that he's assigned Dr. Denner to work with him. And now Mitchell hates this because, you know, he sexually harassed her Mm. and she didn't roll over. (laughs) Roll over? You know, submit to him. Like for a tickle on the tummy. Well, sort of, yeah. When dogs submit, they roll over on their backs. Ooh, I don't like that as a phrase towards a woman. Well, towards anybody. Have you ever heard that? Somebody goes, oh, yeah, I I confronted that guy and then he rolled over. Mm, Yeah. Just as Kirk leaves, Mitchell, in an echoing voice, says... Didn't I say you better be good to me, good to me, good Good to to me, me, good to me. Which freaks Kirk out, as it should. (laughs) Yeah, he's already really creepy. Apart from the diamond eyes and understanding Spinoza, he's not much of a godlike being. Give me the Talosians any day. Yeah, I know. Yeah, those guys were way better. Really miss those guys. He's not really a supreme being yet. He's changing. He's in the process of becoming a supreme being. Because when Kirk finally leaves him, he reads through the book at a faster and faster rate. So Kirk goes under the bridge and finds Spock monitoring Mitchell on CCTV. Kirk assigns a 24-hour security to watch Mitchell, and Mitchell then looks directly at the security cameras, seemingly aware that Kirk and Spock are watching him. Dr. Denner enters the sick bay, and Mitchell apologizes to her for calling her a walking freezer unit, shows off about how well he feels, and then changes his vital signs 
on the monitor with his mind. Mm. And then he makes the reading slow down and look like he's dead. And then he actually kind of like plays dead for a second there. And then Dr. Denner freaks out. Yeah, she doesn't bother doing anything about it, though. <laughs> <laughs> she just looks worried and kind of shakes him a looks bit. Yeah. at him. He wakes up and she says he was dead for 22 seconds. It was clearly five. It was we not were right qu- there. Yeah. He then shows off about his other abilities, like speed reading half the ship's database already. Such a creep. Creepy. She tests his memory, naming a page from one of the e-books, and he recites, My love has wings, slender feathered things, with grace and upswept curve and tapered tip. Apparently from the poem Nightingale Woman, written by Tabold on the Canopus planet back in 1996. Oh! Yeah, it's so lame that we don't have any intergalactic <laughs> authors yet. 20 years after that date. I know, wow. <laughs> Mitchell comments that the poem is one of the most passionate written in recent centuries. Do you feel passionate about the idea of a Nightingale Woman? <laughs> what would that be like? <laughs> Is she a woman that's into nightingales or is she like a humanoid nightingale? Well, it's saying in that little bit she's got wings. Wow. She's like a bird woman. Yeah. Hot. Well, it could be. Does she have like a big beaked bird head? (laughs) Are her eyes on the side of her skull? (laughs) What would you like them to be? (laughs) (laughs) No. Diamond Eyes pulls Denner in close for ages asking how she feels. Why does she let him hold her in like that? She claims she wasn't affected by the brain-frying zapping, but he's not having it. Then Lieutenant Kelso strolls in, catching them nose to nose, and Mitchell creepily jokes that his eyes are merely lit up due to the lovely doctor. Mitchell tells Kelso to check the impulse engine packs. Kelso says, nah. Mitchell booms that he isn't joking and that if they use those engines, the whole impulse deck will explode. Yeah, it's a supernatural shout. Audio effects. He saw the impulse packs in Kelso's mind. Back in the briefing room, the command crew is there and Kelso is saying, yep, he was right. The system would have blown. So he's helped them. Yeah. So there's a benevolent activity. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Denner shows up fashionably late and fails to mention that Mitchell has superpowers. Scotty says that the bridge controls are moving on their own. And Spock says that when they do, Mitchell gets this cheeky little smile (laughs) on his face. You know, Spock is spending a lot of time watching Mitchell on the CCTV. I'm wondering... Does he have any other work to do? (laughs) So voyeuristic, this episode. Oh, Scott's accent. Yeah, you know, I've noticed that actual Scottish people have really fake-sounding accents. (laughs) not Scottish, surely. <laughs> no, he is not. I sure isn't. But as I was, you know, I was a kid, I had no idea that it was a fake Scottish accent. I thought he was really a Scottish guy. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even know Dick Van Dyke and Mary Poppins had a bad Cockney accent. And oh. I'm English. No, there you go. I don't feel so bad anymore. Kirk is annoyed that uh, Denner hadn't reported Mitchell's newfound powers, but she argues that he hasn't hurt anyone and claims that such powers could give rise to a new and better kind of human being. <laughs> Where's she getting that from? I have no idea. Has she been mind controlled, do you think? Could Oh, could be. Yeah, maybe that's what's going on with mm. her. Because that's that's some kind of out of left field stuff there. Yeah, zero evidence for that. Following an awkward silence, <laughs> Sulu adds that the growth of Mitchell's abilities is a geometric progression, meaning that they would increase exponentially. Mm. Spock figures out that Mitchell would become uncontrollably powerful within a month. Like the robot masters you're getting ready for. I am prepared for the robot masters and Mm. I will serve them however they need. (laughs) But yeah, this is the whole super intelligent singularity kind of stuff. The idea that a super intelligent being wouldn't just be better than us, but that they could think in ways that we wouldn't understand and have goals that would be totally alien to us. The example that I always give to people, it's like a dog 
trying to understand what a human is doing on a computer. Mm. Like no matter how slowly or, or how much sign language you use, that dog <laughs> is never going to understand. Sign language? You know, they can point at it and oh, right. put it in your mouth. It's and, rolling you know. over, it's begging, yeah, and exactly. you're trying to explain the computer. Ideas that we have, like ideas like justice or democracy, elections, these things would make no sense to a dog. And that is how we would be to a super intelligent mm. entity. And if we were confronted with them and they wanted to do mean stuff to us, we would have no idea how to deal with them. And if they meant us harm, we would be completely helpless. Or we could be their pets. They'd dress me up in little tutus and carry me around in a bag. If you're into that, yeah. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) But for those of us that wouldn't be into it, it would be kind of upsetting. And Mm. Spock agrees with me. Mm. Spock is like, let's drop this dude off on a planet and get out of there. There's an uninhabited planet close by. It's called Delta Vega. It's got an old power station. We could get some equipment to fix up the ship and then just leave Mitchell there. Perfect. Spock says, look, we're going to do that or we should kill him. And (laughs) I was like, whoa, that is some stone cold lunch. (laughs) That's not very Starfleet either. I mean, I guess this is the pilot and things change, but uh, Starfleet is not into just killing things. Oh. You know, that's not their solution to problems. It's, you know, they usually try and work around that. Oh, why don't they just jettison him? Oh, that's killing. That would kill him. Mm. Kirk is like, Spock, man, he's our friend. And Iceman, Spock says, I'm sure the captain of the Valiant was buddies with his Ubermensch as well. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, look how that turned out. And Kirk goes, eh. Is that a course for Delta Vega? Oh, yeah. Convinced. Seems like a good example of the contrast between their motivations for action, though. Yeah. Whoa, wait a minute. Was that a compliment on the writing I just heard? Hmm, maybe. (laughs) Back in sickbay, Mitchell moves a plastic cup below a tap and pours water into it with his mind. With his mind. He moves it across the room. So lazy. So Kirk, Spock, and Dr. Denner stroll in to see his telekinesis powers, and they get worried. Mitchell... He knows what's going on. Mitchell quickly zaps Kirk and Spock with his hand lasers and says he knows they're plotting to dump him, but he won't allow it. As he monologues about his fantasy world, Kirk gives him a bit of an elbow, which disables him long (laughs) enough for the doctor to inject him. As they drag him away to the transporter room, Mitchell regains consciousness and then he yells, Soon I'll squash you like insects! Before being sedated again. Now, how would you handle the situation? I mean, would you kill this guy? Would you just drop him off the planet? Or you would you do what Kirk is doing here? Would you just try and talk to him? Maybe you would put him in charge because he's super smart now. Mm. What would you do? My empathy for him was pretty minimal. I blame the eyes partly. Yeah. Not seeing the windows to the soul <laughs> and all the creepy stuff and the fact I'd never seen this character before and, and I've got zero emotional investment in him. Can't really imagine any ethical options. I'd probably sedate him and then work out if we could do some brain right. surgery. Oh, whoa, that's maybe, a good idea. Maybe call James Randy. <laughs> yeah he would just debunk him and then (laughs) problem solved they're like oh no look he's using wires yeah Yeah, problem solved they beam mitchell down to a holding cell and this is a cool thing in star trek that i've always liked the cell is got lights around the doorway and there's actually no bars Mm -hmm. but it's an energy field like a a force field that keeps them in and anytime that they want to open up the door then the lights just go off yeah it's cheap But it's also kind of a neat sci-fi thing. And then in later Star Trek episodes, when they touch it, it like zaps. So Mm -hmm. it'll get them and stuff like that. Yeah, good job. uh, Lieutenant Kelso and the engineering team begin to salvage components from the outpost to fix up the Enterprise engines. Mitchell comes to and reminds Kirk of how he saved his life before. He wonders why Kirk would 
be afraid of him. Mm-hmm. And then Kirk says, you remember how you were screaming squash you like insects earlier? <laughs> and he goes, ah, oh, well, you know, you had me drugged. I'm sorry, Aww. baby. I just love you too much. <laughs> And then he blurts out that a race of super psychics could take over human civilizations. And it's like, wait a minute, dude, you're not helping your argument here. And then he tries to bust out of the force field, but he can't. His eyes go back to normal, kind of showing his humanity. Oh, yeah, for a second. And Kirk pleads with him then. But the diamond eyes soon come back, yeah. unfortunately. You know, why do sci-fi movies equate super intelligent beings with evil? Couldn't, mm. there, couldn't there be like benevolent, super smart beings? Like if I was Mitchell, I would be curing diseases, streamlining starship design, writing the best dirty limerick ever. <laughs> that takes a, a good bit of effort. Well, good you know, time I've, well already, spent. I've already cured diseases and stuff, so why not have a little fun? Yeah. But he just throws out threats and uh, is creeping people out. I know. None of my hopes came true, did no, they? No, and they're not going to come true. Spock <laughs> says that the repairs are almost done and has Scotty beam him down with a phaser rifle. Kirk is like, dude, come on. Spock is like, baby, <laughs> this is a logical step. If we can't finish the repairs before Mitchell gets too awesome, we're going to have to blast it. Agreed. And Kirk tells Kelso to wire the station for self-destruct. And it will blow up the whole valley and hopefully Mitchell with it if he tries to escape. So Kirk's like, yeah, you're right. we got to be prepared mm. for this. Dr. Denner looks smug or hypnotized. She's just been standing there watching Mitchell do nothing for hours and says she wants to stay on the planet with him. Oh no, he's strangling someone with a cable from afar. It's Kelso, no! Kelso. He just wanted to fix some stuff. Poor guy. Mitchell zaps Kirk and Spock. Oh no, the doctor's got jewel eyes now. Mitchell taunts Kirk that he should have killed him when he had chance, then zaps Kirk and Spock and escapes. See, they should have kept him sedated. You're right. You're right. I agree. Dr. Pepper shows up. Dr. Pepper. (laughs) Dr. Piper shows up, uh, revives Kirk, and tells him that Kelso is dead and that Mitchell and Dr. Denner have left the facility. Kirk takes the phaser rifle and tells Dr. Piper to take Spock back to the Enterprise. Don't wake him up until I've gone, he says. He's ashamed for being wrong about Mitchell. (laughs) I guess so, yeah. That was quite a touching moment, I thought. Oh, because he didn't want to... He didn't want Spock to see him in his shame of having got it wrong and ruined everything. Oh, that's the way I saw it was that he thought Spock would have insisted on coming with him to deal with it. To protect Spock, he said, keep him sedated and just get him to the Enterprise. Ah. So I think it was touching even more so. Touched us (laughs) in different ways. (laughs) He says to the doctor, if I'm not back in 12 hours... Take off to the nearest star base, then shoot the whole planet with a lethal dose of radiation. Oh, whoa. Down on the planet, Mitchell and Dr. Denner are walking around making stuff appear. Behold. Just like, <laughs> just like you wanted. Oh, From the beginning, you said, I? yeah, you said make stuff. Making stuff, creating stuff. Creating stuff, yeah. Awesome stuff. <laughs> no, making moss and plastic plants. <laughs> Rubbish. Well, they don't get the budget, you know. They don't have a budget for fancy things, so they just throw out some plastic alien-looking plants. Mitchell senses Kirk approaching and sends Denner to distract him. She advises Kirk to retreat while he still can, and Kirk appeals to what's left of Denner's humanity, and he asks her what she believes will happen if Mitchell's power is allowed to grow. Then Mitchell sneaks in, and Kirk opens fire with his useless rainbow gun. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Mitchell's such an asshole. He makes a grave for Kirk. 
and forces him to pray to him as a god. Yeah. Wait a minute. I'm gonna go, let's rewind it back. Rainbow gun. It's a rainbow colored gun, it's isn't it? It's a phaser. It's a phaser rifle. It's rainbow colored. It's not really. I mean, there's two. There's kind of a white, bluish red kind of thing. I wouldn't say it was a, ra a rainbow gun. I mean, it, that's that's something that like, a unicorn would carry. Absolutely. Looks like <laughs> something from Care Bears. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed Kirk's hair was definitely getting grayer by this point, which I'd suspected earlier. But there's so much brill cream going around on those guys. I thought it oh. might be the shine. I think it is the shine. I don't think huh? his hair is actually growing going gray. Oh, I'm pretty sure it was progressively getting grayer. I'll have to check that out. With the stress. I didn't notice that. Um, Listeners, let us know. Let us know. Dr. Denner now realizes that Mitchell is a total jerk. Finally! And he helps Kirk by blasting Mitchell with some of her flashy negative power stunning him. Mitchell zaps her back, the battle drains them both, and then they collapse. Mitchell's eyes go normal, and tempor temporarily he loses his powers. Kirk has an opportunity, gets on top of Mitchell, and beats the ever-loving snot out of him. <laughs> Chop! Suck! Holy 60s fight, Cario! Batman! <laughs> <laughs> Kirk raises a rock above Mitchell. These rocks are even worse than last yeah, episode. Yeah, that's nuts. Kirk does the classic hesitation, asking for forgiveness, yeah. which gives Mitchell a chance to re-energize yep. and toss him away. Kirk shoves them both in the grave and blasts some rocks above, <laughs> down on top of Mitchell. Then Mitchell uses his telekinesis to lift them up and... No, he doesn't. He's dead. Yeah. That was all it took to take him out. Yeah. He wasn't telekinetically strong enough to stop that much weight coming mm. down on him, I guess. Only little plastic cups for water. <laughs> Kirk now has an off-the-shoulder, top, torn, and a bloody head. Yeah, that's uh, kind of a, a... It's going to be a standard move, having the ripped shoulder, kind of oh. a little bit of blood coming out of the center. You know, one for the ladies. I like. <laughs> I think we called this kind of thing objectification and defalicization when we studied Die Hard at university. Whoa, elaborate, please. You know, where John McClane's down to his bloody vest and he's got cuts all over him. He's been penetrated by glass <laughs> in his feet. Has he lost his gun at that point and therefore been defalicized? Oh. It's been 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that is some heavy stuff that I never really saw in <laughs> Toon Die Hard before. Kirk kneels beside the dock and she apologizes, but says he has no idea what it was like to almost be a god before dying. Dies. Mm. Poor Dr. Denner. He calls up the Enterprise. Captain's log, stardate 1313.8. Add to official losses, Dr. Elizabeth Dana. Yet noted she gave her life in performance of her duty. Lieutenant Commander Gary Mitchell. Same notation. I want his service record to end that way. He didn't ask for what happened to him. I felt for him too. I believe there's some hope for you after all, Mr. Spock. Come on, that last little bit is kind of racist to me. Vulcans don't have emotions, so just accept it, Kirk. Quit trying to change him. Ah, he just needs a bit of therapy. No, but you're trying to change him. This He's an alien, and they have a different culture and society and different brain chemistry, and they just don't do emotions. They are totally logical creatures. Ah, give him six sessions with me. I'll have him crying. <laughs> so this was the pilot which started the whole phenomenon. <laughs> The last one was rejected for being too cerebral, not enough action. Yeah. But this one was just what people were looking for. Ah. Hey. Yeah, it's, uh, I thought it was better than the, the cage, but 
no way. The cage was much better, I thought. Yeah. And I'm surprised that this is what got the series sold. But maybe it was William Shatner's charisma that mm-hmm. pulled yeah. it off. It was creepy, though. Yeah. Difficult to engage with. Pseudo science fiction. It seems such an odd choice to have such a joyless pilot. Yeah. It's a spaceship hurtling through the universe for crying out loud yeah. with a bunch of presumably interesting characters to introduce us to. Yeah. We could grow to understand them and care about them before they start turning into July jerks. <laughs> I suppose that's why they aired it third. Yeah, they aired the show third, uh, even though it was the second episode that was made. And of course, Mitchell isn't in the first two episodes. So, oh, what? Yeah, so it doesn't it doesn't matter. It, I think they just put this in a different order because it's not as good and they wanted the first two episodes to be good. Hmm. And then if the third one's weak, then they can move on. It left me feeling pretty flat. Yeah. I guess I enjoyed the over-the-top, campy, fantasy, sexualized first pilot more than I realized. Yeah. Let's do some categories here. On a scale of 1 to 10, I want you to rate Star Trek in these three categories. Mm. One, intellectual stimulation, Mm. conceptual story ideas, that type of stuff. Two, entertainment value, just how much fun it is, how engaged you are. And then three, sexiness. Mm. So, since we didn't do this on the first episode, what would you give the first episode on highbrow intellectual stuff it got us thinking a bit didn't it i'd give it a five five okay it's pretty good yeah and then what would you give it on entertainment value oh um let's give it a good old seven. Oh, seven. Mm, six. Six. okay and on sexiness sexiness um i'm gonna go for a five whoa really yeah not bad Okay. All right. So on this episode, where no man has gone before, intellectual stimulation. Two. Well, really? Yeah. See, I thought some of the ideas about them having to deal with a super intelligent being, that made me think a little bit. Yeah. Ethical questions around that. I give that's the two. Wow. That's only a two? Yeah. Entertainment value? Apart from the chop sock fight, not much. Four. Okay. And then sexiness. Oh, goodness me. Is zero the lowest or one? Zero is, you can give it zero. I'll give it one for Kirk's shoulder. (laughs) (laughs) What about you? Uh, Okay, I give it on intellectual stimulation a five. Hmm. That's average. I would say average for an episode of Star Trek. Two for entertainment value. It's a little low. I was, I thought it was kind of slow. So I'd say uh, maybe a three. Uh, For sexiness, zero. I found Mm. no sexiness. As much as I appreciate Man, beauty of Shatner. He doesn't really do it for me. (laughs) So this episode was written by Samuel A. Peoples and directed by James Goldstone. Next week, we're going to go back to the first aired show. We're done with pilots, so forget about this stuff. This episode is called The Man Trap. I seem to remember liking this one quite a bit. It's our first episode with Dr. McCoy, who is a great character. Okay. And I think we're going to enjoy this next episode. Man Trap! So I want to thank you, Rachel, for uh, watching another episode of Star Trek and talking with me about it. Thank you, my darling. And thank you to Chad for the fantastic music. It's so good. And for Greg Johnson saying Rachel watches Star Trek because he does it so very well. <laughs> and with that, I'm Chris Lackey. And I'm Rachel Lackey. And you've been listening to Rachel Watches Star Trek. Ray
to watch his Star Trek.